of uh, this series, the beginning of the series, I encouraged everyone to uh, read through uh, the book of Jonah. And uh, the next week, I had people coming back and saying, I got more questions now than I have answers. And if you read it through, you, you do. There, there is that familiar part that most people think that's what Jonah is all about. And then there's two chapters after that. And it gets seemingly more mysterious as the time goes on. And this last chapter and the end of the book, at first glance, may be the strangest ending of any book in the Word of God. Now, I say at first glance because today we're going to look at that ending and uh, hopefully we'll have some light shed on that. But let's read uh, the last chapter of Jonah, remembering that uh, in chapter 3, what had just happened after Jonah had preached to Nineveh and there was repentance uh, from the king all the way through all of the people there. And it says, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And then chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons 
who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, would you cause your Holy Spirit to make what you wanted to communicate to your people long ago and down through the centuries and, and today, make it clear to us. We need you to shed light on this passage. And then, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to submit our hearts to you in what you have to teach us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into this, I hope that uh, pretty quickly you saw the first aspect that I want to highlight, and that is uh, uh, in this passage we see God's sovereignty over his creation. Look at verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Now, I don't know where this tradition came from, but I remember as a kid, and some of you are going to remember this too, Uh, When you were uh, a kid, uh, the threat to some children, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to give you some castor oil. Anybody remember that? Okay. I never never tasted it, so uh, um, I think we were beyond that uh, when I was coming up. But I still remember that. And the reason I say that is because if you've got a... Uh, English Standard Version, which is what I read from, there's a footnote here, and uh, every, every time they translated plant, they said that actually could be a castor oil plant. And I don't know if this is where the tradition came from, but I thought, well, how appropriate. Here, what we see is God giving Jonah a dose of uh, castor oil using this particular plant. But here's what I want you to notice uh, in terms of his sovereignty. It says the Lord God appointed a plant. That's the second time the phrase God appointed is used. And it's used two more times in the passage I, I read here for a total of four times in Jonah. Uh, let me remind you where. First in, in chapter 1 verse 17, he appointed a fish. Here in 4.6, he appointed a plant. In 4.7, he appoints a worm. 4.8, he appoints the wind. And in chapter 1, it doesn't say he appointed a storm, but it said he hurled a storm, uh, indicating that this was part of his sovereign control. And so what we see here is that that, that God's in control of all of these things. But I hope you see that he uses them for a purpose. And he's doing that in what he is teaching 
uh, Jonah. Now, look also at uh, Jonah's priorities here, the second part of uh, verse 6. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now think about that. Uh, back in chapter or in verse one of this chapter, it talks about him being exceedingly disappointed. Why? Because God showed mercy on the Ninevites. So his emotions are, are just, they're going from one exceedingly high or low to exceedingly high. But, but look at what, what gets him excited and what gets him sad. How odd this is that his gladness is because of this, this plant. It's the only time we see him exceedingly glad when this castor oil plant grows up and gives him some shade while he is sitting there. So he's in comfort while he's sitting there waiting and hoping that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Move on down and look at uh, this, how God caused this physical discomfort for, for his reasons. Look at verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose... God appointed a, a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So here's the picture. God grows this plant. Jonah is elated. This is great. Maybe God is showing me favor. He's protecting me while I sit here. And then... Evidently, somewhere during the night, he appoints a worm who chews on the plant that causes the whole plant to wither. So the sun comes up, and he must have thought he overslept or something like that because, oh, I'm in the sun again. And then he sees that his, uh, his plant is uh, not shading him anymore. And then... He's not just sitting in the sun, but God appoints this dry, hot wind. You've all felt that here in the, in the summertime, that kind of a thing that just, you know, if you're not careful, will just dehydrate you. So that's what's going on with Jonah. Look at his response. And he asked that he might die. And said, it's better for me to die than to live. Back in verse 3, he had just said that. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. In chapter 1, he had said, throw me overboard. So here's, here's the downward spiral, basically, with Jonah. First, he'd rather die than to preach hope to the Ninevites. That was back in chapter 1. I'd rather die than to go, go back there and, 
and preach for God. And the reason was because he knew God might show mercy. And then he's saying, how can I live in a world where the Ninevites receive mercy from God? I'd rather die than to live in a world where those kind of people receive mercy from God. And then, how can I keep living when my plant died? You see how small his thinking had become? How petty from that first turning and running from God to here? And yet, we see God's patience. Now again, I I would just simply reiterate, it's a good thing I'm not God. Because it wouldn't have taken three times, I think I would have just said, okay, we'll go on and die then. Get what you you want it, okay. But we see God's patience with Jonah. Verse 9, he asks a question. God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Remember, he'd already asked a similar question earlier. Do you do well to be angry? We don't see an answer. All we see is evidently he felt like he was doing well, but because uh, we don't have an answer, he goes up and he gets in a good position where he can hopefully, from his perspective, watch the destruction of Nineveh. And yet, we see so you know how he must have convinced himself, he must have rationalized that he was justified in his anger. We don't have a record of Jonah's response other than uh, to that first time other than he went out to watch for the destruction of Nineveh. So here's the question is, why does God ask questions? Do you ever wonder that? It, it, it's not like he doesn't know. I mean, we, we talk about him being omniscient. He knows all things. And yet, periodically in the Scripture, we see him asking questions. You go clear back to to Genesis. Adam, where are you? Do you know where Adam was? Yeah. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? He speaks to Cain. Where is your brother Abel? So here's what we need to know, that because God knows all things, if he asks a question, there's a very good reason for it, and he's asking a question in order to teach or to point out something to those he asks it of. So here in Jonah chapter 4, God asked Jonah three penetrating questions. Let me quote to you from one commentator. He writes about God's questions, that they are meant to teach us something 
or to expose to us our inner selves when we are guilty of sin or disobedience. So whenever we read the Bible and come across God asking a question, we ought to ask ourselves, is God addressing that question to me? If so, what am I meant to learn from that question? I want you to hold that on a side burner because we're going to get back to that at the end of the book. In uh, going on to verse 10, we see this pity that he had. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. So look at what he actually cares about here. Uh, Think about it. It's like Jonah set himself up as a judge for the Ninevites. Again, a, a commentator said he blurred the distinction between the creature and the creator. So God's reminding him, look, you're, you're bent out of shape over this plant. You got all happy and you got all sad. You want to die because the plant's not there. But think back. You, you didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't cultivate it. You had nothing to do with it. And yet, here you are exceedingly upset to the point where you want to die over this. Now contrast that with the big picture of what had gone on. We had seen, he had seen, as it were, a a revival in that city. And God had actually used him in that, in spite of himself. So he had seen this big and wonderful working of God, but all he could think about was this plant that at best was temporary. I just have to think that the evil one loves it when believers begin to think small and worry about little details of things. I was, you know, I was thinking back over my years of, of ministry of some of the kind of petty things that uh, had been complained about in in the church, and I I actually asked Connie, I said, do you remember, you know, some of those things? I gave her one example that I could think of, and she said, well, I I just put those out of my mind, which is a mature way to do it, you know, but but she said, "I I don't think you told me most of them, but here's what she remembered me saying a number of times periodically throughout my ministry. Uh, Whenever I come home, she says, so how was your day? And she says, I remember you saying a number of times, well, I spent today moving bottles from one baby to the other. (laughs) It's quite a picture, isn't it? And I'm sure, Connie, I'm sure that was all before I came to this church, wasn't it? (laughs) 
yeah. I don't think I've ever said that since I've been, been here. She knew what that meant. And, you know, how disappointing it is sometimes when we uh, major on the minors. People even leave the church over some little personal detail. You know, once in a while we'll have people, somebody uh, say that they've decided to go to another church and it's over uh, a theological issue. And when I hear that, it's like, well, that's refreshing. It's over, it's over something important enough to leave us at least. And yet, how often do any of us, I'm not pointing a finger, you know, just at, at, at you all, at all of us. Look who this was. This was, here is a man that knew God that was called by God, that had seen his mighty work, and yet his thinking had gotten so small that all that mattered in his mind for that moment was his own comfort. How sad. Jonah then is given a final opportunity to see his error. Verse 11. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Now, when I was in seminary, at Covenant Seminary, I had six semesters of uh, homiletics. Homiletics is the class where they teach you about preaching. And I had several different professors during that time. One of the things that all of the professors agreed on, and, uh, and that was this. You never end a, a sermon with a question. The reason is because if you, if you end with a question, then, uh, you know, if you say, don't you agree, or something like that at the end, then people can go, Nah, you know, they, they can just, if you give them a yes or no, they can say no, and then that's that, okay? So we were, we were taught never end with a question, and yet here we see God. We've, I'm, I'm not holding him responsible. He's, he can do what he wants. He's ending, though, with a question. You know what? There's only, only two books in the Scripture that end with questions. Jonah and Nahum. Both of those books are about Nineveh. Nahum is about the ultimate destruction of Nineveh. And Jonah is about the mercy shown on Nineveh. We're not going to rebuke God for asking a question at the end. But I am sure, I am quite sure, that it was, that there was no Jonah 12. 
which would have contained the answer from Why not? Why not get the answer? Why didn't God force it? Or if there was an answer, why, why didn't he preserve it for us? Well, my, my theory is this. Because if Jonah had given a good answer to God, then we would have taught this in Sunday school and we preachers would have said, therefore, be like Jonah. And if he gave a bad answer, then we would have been tempted to say, so don't be like Jonah. And, you know, we've said a lot of things about Jonah where we're basically saying, don't be like him. And yet that's not the main message here. I don't want to leave you with that. And I'm convinced God didn't want to leave us with that either. Because back to the quote I gave you earlier, this question needs to be for us as well. And so in your outline, I, I, I rephrased a question. You know, here he's basically saying, look, you're so, you're so worried about this, this plant that you had nothing to do with. And then he says from his perspective, shouldn't I pity Nineveh, the great city, where there's all these people, they were so spiritually uh, lost, they, they didn't know their right from their left. So that question for us is what is it that we care so much about? You care so much about I gave you two blanks. You don't have to fill them in. Think about it. You care so much about such and such. What about the lost in your family? What about the lost in your neighborhood? What about the lost at your work, in your school? Why are you worried about these little details of the world where you live? The point of the book is not to put Jonah down, but it does show how susceptible we are even those who really know Christ, to fall in to those kinds of traps and miss the big picture of God working and miss the glory of his compassion and his mercy and his grace. The fact is, and this book reminds us absolutely, that God not only gives salvation to those who are weak in the world's eyes, but sometimes he gives it to those who are strong in the eyes of the world. And when that happens, we must rejoice. In the fullness of time, God brought salvation to the nations, not just to Israel. And it was sealed on the cross and he still offers mercy. Nineveh was the ISIS of the day. 
But it was not out of the reach of the hound of heaven. And neither are you. Jesus still offers that mercy. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, where our our hearts and minds have become selfish or petty or small, would you help us to step back and, and to see the big picture, the big picture of the glory of your work, the big picture of your mercy and your grace to those who are weak and those who think themselves strong. And Lord, will you enliven our hearts so that we can respond to your mercy. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.